pray to the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. We're finally entering the second chapter, and uh, chapter 1 was filled with um, a lot to glean, and I hope that we've gleaned some wonderful things from it, Uh, but I'm excited as we continue on in this journey of Jonah, and uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 and verse 1 down through verse number 7, and uh, that's where our text will, will stop. And uh, the title of the message this morning is A Prayer from Rock Bottom. A Prayer from Rock Bottom. And so let's read our text together and pray that we would glean some things for our hearts. The Word of God says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Who has ever hit rock bottom? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. What exactly is rock bottom? The phrase rock bottom is a common way of uh, saying a person has gone basically as low as they can in a certain instance, I guess, in their life. It is to hit the bottom. You feel you can go no lower than where you are. People experience rock bottom in a variety of ways from their perspectives. For example, it could be that a great financial catastrophe has left you with nothing and nowhere to go. You feel rock bottom in that scenario. It could be that you're finding yourself in jail because You've finally been caught, and your crimes have caught up to you, and that's where you're at. You're at rock bottom in that scenario. It could be a low point in your health where you feel weak and hopeless, and like there's no deliverance. You feel at rock bottom in that scenario. could be losing your loved ones and having no clue how your life will continue, making you feel like you're at rock bottom. There's a lot of things that we could say would apply to being at rock bottom. Sometimes we feel we've hit rock bottom because of unforeseen experiences, things that have happened in our life that were beyond our control, and yet, nevertheless, here we are. But then there's other times that a person hits rock bottom because of their own foolishness, because of their own sinful way of life that they have trodden. And where do we find Jonah when he's cast into the sea? We find him hitting rock bottom, the very lowest point he could come to in his mortal life. Why is Jonah hitting rock bottom? Is it because he was living faithfully and some unfortunate event hit him and put him in an unbearable place? No, it's the opposite of that, isn't it? We find with Jonah, he's at rock bottom because of his own doing, because of his own direction, because of the way in which he chose. He has willfully and persistently run from the presence of Lord, you understand that one step at a time, and every step that Jonah took in this journey, he was going downward. 
I think it's interesting. You see that even as you read the text. He went down to Joppa to get a ticket to go to Tarsus. He went down into the ship where he once, once went to sleep. And ultimately, he went down into the waves as the sailors cast him overboard. And where do we see Jonah now? He continued to go down all the way to the bottom of the sea, to a place where he could go no, any, no lower. Bear this in mind, Christian, that each step that you take away from the Lord is always a step downward. It is always a step downward. And going down only leads to the bottom, where eventually there is a rock. And that's where we find rock bottom. But what happens when a person hits rock bottom? It is at rock, it is, it is at rock bottom that a person usually wakes up to their own sinfulness and foolishness, especially if they are the child of God. You become aware of your own sinfulness. You become aware of how you got there and what it took to get you there. You learn some hard lessons. And in those hard lessons, you cry out to God once again. You turn back to the one whom you have forsaken and gone away from. And this is exactly what we see happen in the life of Jonah. Now, I want us to learn from Jonah and, and what we see in this prayer and in this text. And you'll find that actually as we read this text that this is actually a psalm of Jonah. It is a psalm. It flows right in connection with the psalms we read in the book of Psalms by David and others. Notice with me two headings here this morning I want to point out to your attention. The first one I'll point out and have you note is Jonah's request from the deep. Jonah's request from the deep. And I want you to note this, that in this passage there are two prayers in this one passage that reveal Jonah's present situation and his past situation. Two prayers are recorded here, one within the other. All right, so not to get confused. I'll help you along as we come through this. But notice firstly that he prays from the belly of the fish in the sea. That's what we see in verse 1. The Bible says that he is in the belly of the fish. And we know that because of verse 17. That was our text last week. That was our whole focus point was verse 17 alone. That the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three Nights. And certainly this entire event is one of miraculous nature, is it not? It is a miracle of God. We saw that this whole experience of Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, it was a great picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus uses this exact, uh, the exact verse to reference the sign that would come to his own generation. He said in Matthew 12, 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so would the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. While Jonah literally died and rose, or excuse me, while Jesus literally died and rose again, Jonah is a picture of that in the belly of this great fish. But now we come to verse 1. What's Jonah doing in verse 1? We know he's in the belly of the fish, but... What's he been doing? What does he do in the belly? In verse 1 we read, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. From the belly of the fish. 
Now, it is remarkable enough already that Jonah is inside the belly of this great fish, and he's still alive somehow, and we know this is a note of, of, of skeptics where they deny such a possibility and think Jonah is fake and just a fable and disregarded. But let us not forget the miraculous power of God here, as we mentioned in our last text. He prays to the Lord from his belly of the fish, to his God from the belly of the fish. Now, if we found ourselves in such a scenario, wouldn't we all be praying? We would be, wouldn't we? What would you be praying if you're inside the belly of a great fish? I would be praying, Lord, please get me out of here and bring me out the way I came in. Our prayers would be anxiously begging to be saved from this great fish somehow in some way. But Jonah, understand this. Jonah's not requesting to be saved from the fish in this prayer. And that's what fascinates me. In fact, you find as you read this psalm, it is actually a psalm, which is a prayer of thanksgiving and praise. You jump down to verse 9, which we'll look at more in depth next week, but he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is of the Lord. You understand that Jonah here, he recognizes the fish as a means of his salvation. Not eternally in the sense of him going to heaven, but from death in the sea. Why does Jonah view the fish in this way? Most of us would view the fish swallowing us as, okay, this is my grave. I need to get out of here. But that's not what Jonah reveals. This begs the question of what really happened to Jonah once he was thrown overboard? What really happened to him? What did he experience? See, Jonah's prayer in the fish reveals to us his experience in the sea and another prayer he prayed while in the sea, which brings me to letter B. Notice that he prays from the edge of death in the sea. And this is really where the bulk of the message will come. You'll see his vivid description here. You see, often when we hear the story of Jonah or have maybe seen visualization of it, maybe in children's portrayals or whatever, we see Jonah cast into the sea, and then as soon as he hits the water, a whale scoops him up. That's the typical portrayal of the story of Jonah, that the whale scoops him up right as he's thrown in, right? But that is not reality of what really happened here to Jonah. Chapter 2 gives us the rich detail about his experience, where he first prayed in the water. In verse 2, we read Jonah's prayer in the water that he's recalling in his prayer in the fish. He's saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, notice the past tense Jonah is using. Jonah's present prayer in the fish is recalling his past prayer in the sea. Notice he says, I called out to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord. He cries out to God in the sea. The root word here for cried means to call to help, and it's really to utter a successive series of screams. It is, it is the epitome of being desperate. His desperate plea, his desperate cry unto the Lord his God. This shows us the desperation Jonah was in. 
Now, what kind of desperation was Jonah experiencing? Well, notice he calls on the Lord out of his distress. That's one description. Out of his distress. Now, we have all experienced various forms of distress. Circumstances and needs that have arisen and experiences that come upon us in our life that cause us to be worried, anxious, fretful. Feel as if we're, we're, on the, we're at the rock bottom, as we might say. We're at the end of our rope, as if we're in great distress. And what do we do when we're in distress? We call out to the Lord. Christian, that ought to be always your response. It's to call upon your God. David writes in Psalm 120 and verse 1, In my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Christian, that is the great comfort to you as a child of God, as one who is in Christ, is that you have a God who hears you in your distress. He answered David, and he answers Jonah. And so if you're in distress today, what I urge you today to do is to call out to your God. Look unto Him. This is what Jonah does. But notice, we, while we all experience various forms of distress, none of us have been in the kind of distress Jonah was in. You notice that his distress is paralleled here to the belly of Sheol. Now, this belly reference is not the belly of the fish. He says it's the belly of Sheol. In verse 1 and 2, there's two different Hebrew words used for belly. Jonah is praying from the fish's belly, recalling being delivered from the belly of Sheol. Now, what is meant by the belly of Sheol? I've mentioned this before, but the word Sheol, it means wasteland, void, or underworld. It was often referenced as the realm of the dead. Where the dead go, which they believe to be in the heart of the earth. The term Sheol was used in various ways, and it can be certainly said that in Hebrew thought in the Jewish mind, it referred to the place of the dead. Now, understand this that Jonah, he's not literally in Sheol, in the realm of the dead, but was on the brink of being there. This was his distress, and this is how you see the parallel that Jonah is not praying from the place of the dead, but he's praying, praying on the verge of death. Notice that Jonah's distress and the belly of Sheol are pal parallel to each other. They are contrasted to each other. If Jonah was literally in Sheol, meaning he was literally dead, then he would have no more distress. It would have been over. There would have been no need to pray. Because I can tell you, when I go to heaven, I'm not praying, Lord, send me back. Nobody in heaven is praying that. As much as we would like to have some of our loved ones back that have gone on, they wouldn't come back if they had the option to. And neither would you. It's important for us to recognize that Jonah is speaking a psalm. A literature of poetic language that communicates a point through parallel and contrast, often with beautiful imagery. And so Jonah uses the belly of Sheol to illustrate his distress, his life-threatening situation he was in while in the sea. This is how David used it too when he said in Psalm 86, 12, and 13, he said, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David experienced great distress in which he thought he was on the verge of death. 
And when you look at Jonah here, he's doing the same thing. He is as good as dead had the Lord not intervened with this fish. In fact, while verse 2 summarizes the prayer of Jonah in the sea, the next few verses give us vivid details of Jonah's experience and why he is so thankful to be in the belly of this fish. None of us would have ever probably thought that that'd be a place to be thankful, in the belly of a fish. But when you read what Jonah was on the verge of, that is a place to be thankful because it was a means of his physical salvation. Look at verse 3. He says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. This is a description of his entrance into the sea and being plunged into the sea. Notice he's cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas. You see, the heart refers to the core of something. Jonah isn't, you know, a couple miles offshore and he can see the shoreline and maybe he can make the swim. He's out there in the middle of nowhere. All that you can see around him is ocean. Only the sea. And that in itself is a frightening proposition if you think about it. I've been on one cruise ship and uh, when you get out there, you eventually get to a point where you don't see anything but water. And I can't help but think, if this ship goes down, we're in trouble. It's a long way away. Jonah is out in the heart of the sea. And guess what? That ship that he was on, it's gone. It ain't hanging around. It's not looking for him. It's just Jonah in the midst of this raging sea. Can you imagine being plunged into the sea and feeling the power of the waves rushing over you? Water is a powerful force, isn't it? You ever go to the ocean? Usually anytime we go to the beach, there's a couple days where the water is rough. They put up the yellow flag or the red flag or whatever, you know. When the water's rough, I don't like to venture out too deep. But I do like to just kind of stand where I feel it's manageable. and Let the waves just hit me. And sometimes those waves are so powerful, even standing on your feet, they just knock you off your feet. Plunge you underneath. Feeling the minuscule power of that little wave. But think about being out in the midst of the vastness of the waves. See, Jonah's using the same language that David uses in the Psalms to describe his distress. Psalm 69, 1 and 2, David writes, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Floods and waters were often used to illustrate nearing death. Jonah uses it here because he actually is in water. <laughs> It could be used metaphorically, but Jonah is literally in water, and it's threatening his life. Notice the description. It gets more vivid. You come down to verse 5 and 6. He says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. Do you see the connection of why Jonah describes his distress as the belly of Sheol? His life is on the line. The waters, he says, closed in over me to take my life. In Jonah's mind, in what he's experiencing, he's on the verge of drowning. He's on the verge of drowning. Dying in the sea. 
He says, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. You just picture that scene. Jonah plunging further and deeper. Seaweed wrapped around his head. I can't stand that stuff even touching my leg if I just get at the beach for a little bit. I hate seaweed. But imagine, and there's some people that eat it. If you do that, I'll pray for you. My daughter's one of them. She likes those little seaweed patches, packets you can get from Costco. I don't understand it. But imagine the seaweed wrapped around your head as you sink deeper and deeper. He can't come up. He says he went down to the roots of the mountains. This, this is the bottom, the lowest place, the part of the sea. The phrase roots of the mountains suggests a belief that the foundations of the mountains lie in the depths of the earth which were covered by the sea. That's what one commentary expresses. Jonah was expressing his feeling of being in the deepest part of the ocean, as far removed from the world of human habitation as was possible to conceive. Any help or hope was completely out of reach for Jonah. There's nobody to help him. Nobody. He can't even help himself. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. These bars, they, it's a Hebrew term that can be used one or two ways, but it could refer to the sandbars at the bottom of the sea. It also could refer to gates, which ties into the concept of Sheol, again, the realm of the dead. The ancient concept of Sheol was that once you went there to the grave, you couldn't escape. It's as if you've been locked in by bars. That's the imagery used there. David, again, mentions this same imagery. Psalm 9 and verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. So this imagery that Jonah's using, the same one David uses, and it, and it illustrates Jonah thought he was entering into Sheol in which he would never return from. The gates would close behind him. He felt the weight of the waves and the ocean pushing him downward and downward and downward. He senses that he is being entombed by the sea. See, with all that Jonah describes here in vivid, vivid detail, Jonah knew that he was right on the edge of death. In fact, in verse 7, he mentions that his life was fainting away. And as his life is on the brink of truly being taken away, what does he do? In his desperation, what does he do? He prays. The first time he prays in all of this account, he's mentioned praying in verse 1, but the prayer in the sea comes before the prayer in the fish. He prays as he's there at the bottom of the sea, as he's sinking deep. What else could you do on the brink of death but pray? Call out to God. Like Peter, when he began to sink on the sea, began to sink, and what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me. That's all he could utter. You see, though Jonah thought dying would be just fine when he was on the ship, now that he's face to face with death, he don't think that way anymore. You know, some people put on a bold or even careless act about dying as if it's no big deal, but when death truly comes knocking, it's quite a big deal to them. It's quite a big deal to them. Because Jonah here has literally hit rock bottom. Notice with me number two. We see Jonah's rescue from the deep. We see his rescue. And here's where we see some application for us too from this text. 
Notice firstly that Jonah sees his sin and desires God's presence. Jonah sees his sin and desires God's presence. Now, wouldn't we think someone experiencing such a drastic near-death moment would recognize some things in their life that ain't quite right? Usually on the deathbed, there's where we start thinking about all the things we wish we hadn't done and how things aren't right and am I right with God? Thankfully, Jonah does recognize some things and he acknowledges them. You look at verse 3, again he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, all your waves and your billows pass over me. What do you notice about Jonah's recognition of his experience? Jonah has no doubt that what he is experiencing is the sovereign hand of God's discipline on him. He doesn't have any doubt about that. Notice that he says to the Lord, you cast me into the deep. Now, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him overboard, right? Wasn't it them? It was. But here's what we must understand. Every step of the way, this is wholly God's doing and His dealing with His servant who's rebellious. God had ordained that the sailors throw him into the sea. God has ordained that he sink to the bottom, that he come to the breaking point, that he come to the end. He says, you cast me into the deep. This was God's doing. You see, God may use various means to chastise his children, but it is still God who is orchestrating that. He recognizes that all this turmoil and trouble he's experienced since setting foot onto that boat... <laughs> has been of God's hand. And in such a case, such is the case with him and all of us in our affliction and correction. Listen to David's words in Psalm 88, 6 through 7. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. This psalmist recognized this too. And friend, this is something you and I ought to recognize as well. That our affliction, our chastisement, things we experience, they are of the Lord's hand. Whether it is a test of your faith or whether it is a correction to your faith, it is of the Lord's hand. And in every instance, understand, every instance, even in Jonah and David and you, whatever it is you experience, it is of God's good and glory that it is to come upon you. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, he says, It is good that you have afflicted me, O Lord. We don't naturally think that way, do we? But it is the truth. How similar are Jonah's words here? He says, Your waves, your billows passed over me. Martin Luther rightly comments here and says, Jonah does not say the waves and the billows of the sea went over me, but thy waves and thy billows, because he felt in his conscience that the sea with its waves and billows was the servant of God and of his wrath to punish sin. And that is exactly what God is doing here. We see him recognizing his error again in verse 4. He says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. You notice that Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight. Wait a minute, didn't Jonah run? Why is he saying God drove 
him away because of what he just said in the previous verse. You see, God's sovereignty over the elements of Jonah's correction have driven him to this point, but it was Jonah who took the first step of running. Jonah took the first step of running. And though it was Jonah who ran, God made sure that Jonah went on to the point where he had nowhere else to go but back to the Lord. Christian, we've got to take that to our own hearts. Because you begin to run away from God and God may just say, okay, go on. And bring you to a point where you have no other choice but to turn back. And often that point where you have to turn back is rock bottom. That could have been avoided with earlier repentance and obedience. You could rightly say that Jonah was an Old Testament form of the prodigal. You recall the prodigal of the New Testament. He ran from his father. He said, give me what I want. Give me what is mine. He runs from his father, goes to a distant town, spends all of his substance, wastes it away with riotous and sinful living. And where do we find that prodigal at the end of his story? Or at the middle, I guess. He's at rock bottom in a, in a, in a hog pen. And here's what we notice about rock bottom. Luke 15, 17, with this prodigal, it says, when he came to himself. You know what that is? That's that light bulb moment. You ever had a light bulb moment? I know we all have. Light bulb moment. You realize, what a fool I've been. How foolish it was for me to go down this sinful way and lead to this very place. And then you begin to think, how good is my God that I can still return to Him? The prodigal did that. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I perish with hunger? What did he say? You can read the rest of the text. He's going to say, I have sinned against heaven. He's going to go back to his father. And the father doesn't wait for him to get back. He sees him running. He goes and meets him. Jonah came to himself as he plunged deep beneath the sea. The presence that Jonah tried to run from is now what he longs for. The presence of God. His God. The one true God. You see, we always want God's presence once we hit rock bottom, but we neglect His presence on the way down, don't we? It's far better for us to seek God's presence and will in our lives than to run in the other direction. Because running from the Lord always leads to the downward spiral of God's discipline. Now, not every child of God gets thrown overboard into the sea and is swallowed by a great fish. Praise the Lord for that. But every child of God gets some kind of discipline to keep them from absolutely destroying themselves. God loves you too much to allow you to go down the road that would only bring your own destruction. You see, we are far better, Christian, if we would humble and tender our hearts to seek the Lord's guidance and holiness and examine our life. I love this passage by David, and you ought to cherish it regularly. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, David prays to the Lord, Search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know why? Because everything you're going to do outwardly in your life is going to flow from what's inside of you. Your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your intentions. 
David says, search me and know my heart. Try me, test me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what David's praying here, Lord? Show me what I'm probably blind to that might lead me astray so that I may go down the way of holiness, the way of righteousness, the way of of, of following after you because you and I and all of us, we are prone to our rebellion. As the song goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I know I'm not the only one identifies with that truth. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Let us ask the Lord to correct us now, to enlighten us now, instead of later bringing us to rock bottom where we have no choice but to turn back. Let her be, notice this, that God hears Jonah's plea and rescues him. And for Christian, this, this is where we see the immeasurable mercy of God. Because Jonah, beyond the shadow of a doubt, deserves to die in the sea, to be forgotten and never seen again. He deserves that. But here he cries out in the deep. And we read in verse 2 again, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. That right there, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. The story could have gone different. It could have said, I called out and I died. (laughs) There was no answer. But there is an answer. There's an answer here, Christian. What a comforting and joyous truth this is for you. You see, the Lord our God hears the prayers of His people and understand that when you and I recognize our sin and we call out to Him, oh, God loves to answer that plea. God loves to hear that plea. Well, how do we know God heard him? Because Jonah is alive in a fish right now. If God didn't hear him, he'd be dead at the bottom of the sea. He's alive in a fish when he's recalling this. And so Jonah is thanking the Lord. He's praising the Lord. He's committing to the Lord. Jonah was in the lowest state someone could possibly have been. Rock bottom was more than just a figure of speech for Jonah. It was a literal reality, physically and spiritually. Though Jonah was taken to the, de- de- the gates of death, verse 6, he says, You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You see, the pit is often referenced with death as well. And God has brought up Jonah's life from certain death in the sea. And how did he do that? By appointing this fish to swallow him up at the exact right time. You see, the sailors were a means of judgment on Jonah. Get him into the sea. The fish is a means of God's rescue on Jonah. A place in which he would still be uncomfortable and painful, but he's at least rescued from death. He's learning some things in the belly of the fish. Can you see the sovereignty of God in this? You see, God appointed the fish before Jonah ever hit the water. Before he ever plunged into the deep, God's already appointed this fish. And how magnificent this scene is that God had already appointed the answer to Jonah's prayer before he would ever pray it. You understand that prayer is not necessarily about changing God's will. It's about conforming to His will. God had already appointed the answer to Jonah's prayer before he ever got to that situation. But that doesn't eliminate the necessity of praying. They are means to the end. 
Jonah goes on to say in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You understand that his life was fainting away. It's very possible he, he's, he goes unconscious at the bottom of the sea. And this is where some believe he possibly really died. It's a possibility, but I'm, I, don't, I lean the other way. It's possible. I wouldn't, wouldn't debate it. wouldn't die on that hill. But what I do know is that in this final moment where his life is fainting away, guess what he does? He says, I remembered the Lord. Guess what, Christian? The whole time, guess what he's been trying to do? He's been trying to put the Lord out of his mind. He's wanting to run from the presence of the Lord. He's putting him out of his mind. But here, what do we see? He remembers he remembers the Lord in, his, in this dire moment, much like Peter. You remember Peter? In his denial of Christ, three times he denies him. But there's hours that go by. He denies him once. Time goes by. He denies him a second time. Time goes by. It's not in Peter's mind what he's doing. He's, he's, he's actively rejecting his knowledge of Christ. But it comes to that third time, and, and the rooster crows, and the Lord looks at him. And guess what? Light bulb moment for Peter. Peter, the Bible says, remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered it. You see, even though Jonah was fleeing the presence of God, he could not escape it. Psalm 139, 7 and 8 shows us the omnipresence of God. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There's nowhere you can run from God. You can run, but you can't hide. But here's what's reassuring when it comes to God's people. Not only is God omnipresent in all places, but He is directly intertwined into the life of His people. The fact that Jonah's prayer came into God's presence indicates God's earnestness to hear and rescue His children when they hit rock bottom in their rebellion. And Christian, this is the unchanging truth for all of us here today, that because of Christ's atonement and His ministry as our great high priest, you and I have an advocate with the Father that pleads on our behalf. 1 John 2 and verse 1. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. That's the first will. Don't sin, right? The believer should not live a life of sin. But if anyone does sin, it's going to happen. But if anyone does sin, because we're still fallen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christian, that ought to be the verse you use most often in your life. Because of Christ's work for us, we can come boldly to the throne of grace when we, like Jonah, come to the end of ourselves. We must not think that we have gone so far that God has cast off His child never to hear them or restore them again. On the contrary, we need to look to the cross once again and recognize, recognize the price Jesus paid, not only for your salvation, but for you to come to God the Father 
over and over and over again without measure. One final verse I'll read you is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Let us take this note to heart. Hebrews says in chapter 4 and verse 14 through 16, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but, who, who, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Based on this truth, that our high priest has been tempted like as us, and yet without sin. Here's what the conclusion is. Because of this, let us, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. Jonah needed both mercy and grace. He was in a desperate mode. And Christian, maybe you found yourself in that place. Maybe you will find yourself in that place. Come back to this wonderful truth that God in His discipline, He always does so out of love to bring you back to Him. Rock bottom is a reality that we all can and may face, especially if you run from the Lord. Jonah experienced it in a very deep and drastic manner. But Jonah came to realize where he was, why he was there. And in his prayer, he turns unto the Lord, even at the brink of death. And our gracious God delivered him because it was in love that God had disciplined him to this point. Jonah ran and God said, okay, Jonah, you're going to go down here and down here and down here and down here. And when you get to here, you're going to turn back to me. Jonah had a lot to learn, and I think he learned it. And Christian, we need to learn from Jonah in this text. We need to learn of God's corrective hand and the need to turn to him even today. Maybe God has convicted you and pointed out something in your life that you need to repent of. You feel conviction over this. Do not delay. Confess that to the Lord. Turn to him and have your sin forgiven. Have the joyous fellowship with him that you're meant to have. And it may be today that you don't know Christ at all. You don't know the God we're talking about. Understand that Christ, Christ alone is the Savior of sinners, which is what you are. Only by faith alone in Christ alone can you have salvation. And it will all be to the glory of God alone. Let us take these truths and apply them to our heart today.